0: You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. If you guys will open up your Bibles to John chapter 14. Uh, If you don't have a copy of scripture with you this morning, that's totally okay. You can grab uh, the Bible that's in the pew in front of you. um, And it's page 901 in your pew Bible. You know, churches, all of us are painfully aware As I speak, there is a battle taking place across seas. A battle in which the Russian enemy, who has absolutely no right nor claim over the sovereignty of their neighboring Ukrainian nation, is committing unconscionable acts in an attempt to take over and rule over the Ukrainian people. And to date, the number of civilians who've been injured or killed by Russian forces is in the thousands and climbing. We need to keep praying for for Ukraine. There's been unspeakable war crimes committed and multiple assassination attempts on the Ukrainian president. All in an attempt for the enemy to claim dominion over a nation that doesn't belong to him. Needless to say, the battle that's taking place across seas is deeply, deeply troubling. However, despite their state of unrest, the resolve of the Ukrainian people has been an inspiration to the world, hasn't it? Despite the ongoing attacks against their homeland, the Ukrainian people have proven themselves to be a formidable opponent. And I can't help but wonder if their resolve can be attributed, at least in part, to the reassuring words of their leader. During the initial invasion, when President Zelensky was offered an evacuation plan, he responded with the quote of the year perhaps even the quote of the the last decade or even century. He said, I don't need a ride. I need more ammunition. You see, even though their world was and continues to be crashing down around them, the inspiring words of their leader brought hope to their troubled hearts and helped them press on in an attitude of victory. Now, it remains to be seen what's going to happen, but they're pressing on nonetheless. Well, friends, in the same way, I want you to know that every single one of us are engaged in a very similar battle, a war in which the enemy is trying to claim dominion over something that does not belong to him, except the war that we're in is not a battle, battle for sovereignty over our nation or even our state. It's a battle for sovereignty over our souls. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. You see, whether you realize it or not, all of us are in a spiritual battle. And our enemy wants nothing more than to trouble our souls while on earth and try to steal our souls for eternity. This is his primary objective. Look at John 10.10. It says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And make no mistake about it, he is very, very good at his job. The number of souls that he has taken captive by his force is unfathomable. And so it's for this reason that we, we don't need a ride out of this spiritual battle. We need more ammunition for this spiritual battle. Because the spiritual battle that we face is real, and it's ongoing, and we all have to fight it. That's just the reality. So friends, in our uh, study today, we're going to find Christ's disciples deeply troubled as their world was starting to crash all around them. Yet we're also going to find the inspiring words of their leader bringing hope to their troubled hearts and helping them to press into victory. And it's through his words we're going to be reminded of this vital truth to remember on Easter Sunday morning, and it's this. The troubled heart finds hope in the risen Savior. So before we jump into God's word, let's just bow our heads and pray. Lord God, I want to thank you for the opportunity to open up your word this morning on this wonderful Easter Sunday resurrection morning. And God, I pray that you would do what you do best, that you would, would bring hope to troubled hearts this morning. Lord, I pray that I would get out of the way and that your Holy Spirit would speak through me and to, to those people that you've brought here this morning. God, that, that they would leave here, leave here in peace, leave here closer to Jesus than when they arrived. Lord, even now I pray that you would draw some of these troubled souls to yourself this morning and will give you all the glory and all God's people said. Amen. All right, so today's passage picks up with Christ's disciples anxious and unsettled. You see, they had just experienced the euphoria of Christ's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. We kind of celebrated that last week a bit. And in their minds, their earthly Messiah had finally come. In their minds, Jesus was about to overthrow Roman rule and restore Israel to its former glory and reign as king over the Jews. However, despite having forewarned them time and time again, this was not Christ's time to be crowned. It was his time to be crucified. In fact, Jesus had just finished sharing with his disciples that his betrayal and denial and death were imminent. And so struggling to grasp what was about to happen, the disciples, they pondered the prospect, wait a minute, Jesus, you're leaving us? And their hearts became deeply troubled. And so sensing their anguish, and I love this, Jesus sensed their anguish. He didn't rebuke them. He sensed their anguish, and he spoke to them and us using some of the most comforting words in all of scripture. So let's begin by reading the whole passage, and then we'll break it down. Uh, It's in your Bibles, John 14, 1 through 6. Jesus said this. He said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, and believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to be with myself, that where I am, you may be also, and you know the, where, the way to where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said to them, I am the way, and the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. You know, a story is told of a little five-year-old, Timmy who had a pivotal verse to recite in the church's Easter program. He's not here, he is risen. But no matter how hard Timmy practiced the line, he was confused and he kept on forgetting it. And no matter how much the director rehearsed with him, it was to no avail. When the program began, Timmy went up to the mic and confidently shouted, he's not here, he's in prison. (laughs) Church, when it comes to the message of Christ... Like Timmy, many people are living in confusion. Even the disciples were confused at first. And unless we clear up this state of confusion, here's the deal. If we don't clear up the confusion, it can have devastating consequences. Not just on on earth, but for eternity. You know, I've heard it said that some people are like Easter eggs. They're ornamented on the outside and hard-boiled on the inside. You'll pick that up eventually. But as we jump into today's study, I want to encourage you to soften your hearts to Christ's words. Because found within today's passage are three realities about Jesus that, if received, will clear up your confusion, comfort your soul, and give confidence needed to overcome the enemy. Now, if that sounds good to you, say, it's all good. all good. All right, let's jump in. The first is this, in Christ there is relief. Look again at verse 1. It's in your Bibles. It'll also be on the screen. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. You know, a, a pastor and his family were invited to an Easter dinner at Mrs. Olson's home. And Mrs. Olson was widely known for her amazing contributions to church potlucks. And as everyone was seated around the table, the food was being served. And as usual, it was a feast for the eyes and the nose and the palate. When the pastor's youngest son, Peter, received his plate, he started eating right away. And the embarrassed pastor said, Peter, wait until we say grace. And the five-year-old replied, nah, I don't have to. And his mother forcefully insisted, of course you do, Peter. We always say a prayer before eating at our house. And Peter responded, that's at our house, Mommy, but this is Mrs. Olson's house, and she knows how to cook. (laughs) Church, when we're in the presence of someone who knows what they're doing, We can trust them with the outcome, yes? The disciples needed this reminder. The word troubled here means to shake or to stir up. And it carries this idea of a heart that is shuddering. The disciples were shuddering at the prospect of Christ leaving them. And so Jesus comforted them by reminding them of who he was and what he's capable of. He said, believe in God, believe also in me. You see, in no uncertain terms Jesus was reminding them that he and the Father are one. And that, and he was telling his disciples to place their full trust in him, just as they already trusted in God the Father. And as long as the disciples believed and trusted in him, even as their world was starting to crash all around them, that he would provide relief from the trouble stirring within their souls. And friends, the same is true with us. Listen. Between the war, the pandemic, political corruption, grotesque acts of evil, human slavery, rising crime rates, rising gas prices, international crises, and escalating violence. Our world is crashing down all around us, is it not? Let's face it, there is more than enough troubles to cause our hearts to shudder. And I'm sure if you're like me, your heart has shuddered on more than one occasion over the last couple of years, even the last couple of months. However, if we can learn to trust God with our problems, he promises to provide relief through our problems. Jesus said in John 16, he said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have what? said what to you? Everything that he talked about over the last couple of chapters, he's reminding the disciples of what he's about to go through. He said, I've said all these things to you so that, listen, you can have peace. Peace? Seriously? Peace. He says, in the world, you will have tribulation. You will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. You see, church, none of us are guaranteed a trouble-free life. In fact, the impact of sin on our world has guaranteed the opposite. However, no matter how hard the world beats us down, we can have peace. Why? Because Jesus, and the disciples would soon learn this, Jesus overcame the world the moment when he overcame the grave. Amen? Church, the resurrection of Christ displayed the power of God proved the claims of God, and validated all the promises of God. This is great news for us. You know why? It means that if God's word says it, we can believe it. It's a done deal. So if you're here today, and you're, you're, you entered here feeling a bit discouraged or defeated, if your soul is troubled and burdened and weary and in need of relief, if it seems as if your world is crashing down all around you, then let me encourage you to accept the Lord's invitation when he says, believe in God and believe also in me and trust him to give you relief. You know, one of my favorite verses in scripture is Isaiah 26, three and four. This is a promise you could take to the bank and it says this, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on what? You, not your problems, right? Right? Whose mind is stayed on you, referring to God, because he trusts you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Rock. Scripture talks about how the Lord pulls us out of miry clay and sets our feet upon a what? A rock. You can trust him. He will bring you peace. You know, we all long for a trouble-free world. I get it. A world that is full of righteousness and goodness and Peace. We all long for a day when there's going to be no more death, nor mourning, nor crying, nor pain. And let me tell you something. For those who believe in Jesus and take him at his word, that day's coming, church. That day's coming. And this leads us to the second reality about Jesus. In Christ, there is reassurance. There is reassurance. Look at verses 2 through 4. Jesus said, In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so... Would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. Church, a little boy got into an elevator in the Empire State Building. You ever go, anybody ever go on top of the Empire State Building ever before? Yeah, I did, like, years ago. It was pretty high, pretty crazy. But anyway, uh, he, he, was, he was on his way up, and he pressed the button for the top floor, and he and his daddy started their ascent. And the boy watched the signs flashing as they went by the floors. 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70. They kept going up, and the boy got nervous. And so he took his daddy's hand and said, Daddy, does God know we're coming? (laughs) Friends, not only does God know that we're coming, that his children are coming to heaven, but he's preparing a perfect, personalized place for when they arrive. Jesus reassured his disciples that he wasn't abandoning them. He was simply heading out to get their eternal home ready. You know, there's no promise in Scripture more comforting than the promise of eternal life. In fact, it's this blessed promise that brings peace to a believer's soul because no matter how hard the enemy attacks or how troublesome life may be, those who believe in Jesus have the blessed assurance of heaven. Thomas Watson said, soon the battle will be over. It will not be long now before the day will come when Satan will no longer trouble us. There will be no more domination, temptation, accusation, or confrontation. Our warfare will be over, and our commander, Jesus Christ, will call us away from the battlefield to receive the victor's crown. How about it? Last week, my grandmother passed away. And to say that our hearts are troubled at her passing would be an understatement. So it was bittersweet, obviously. She was 94. But she was the matriarch of our family. And she knew how to love, and man, did she love us well. And she will be deeply missed. However, what brings our hearts great assurance and comfort is knowing that she is now spending eternity in the place that God prepared for her. You know, Scripture teaches to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. And that's where Grandma is right now. She's in the presence of the Lord. And to be present with the Lord is to experience everlasting joy. When Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, that's the type of place that Jesus was describing. A place of everlasting joy. Revelation chapter 21 verse 4 says he will wipe Every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things are sayonara. they have gone. They've passed away. Amen? And not only did he promise to prepare a special place for us, he also promised that he would come again to bring us there. You know, just in case... For those of us that are still alive and haven't died yet, he may just come back before we even die to take us there. Friends, because of Christ's death and more importantly his resurrection, because if he stayed in the grave, this is useless. You know, packing out this church today, it doesn't matter if he stayed in the grave. But he didn't stay in the grave because he rose. Those who believe in him can rest assured that when he, whether he returns or calls us home, one day we will rise and we will be with him. And we will enjoy the blessings of his presence forever and ever and ever. No, amen, and ever, and ever. Come on, guys. See, I I said, it's like I threw the ball, and all you had to do was hit it, and strike three year outs. Amen, come on. All this to say the reassurance of heaven provides some perspective to our problems on earth, doesn't it? No matter how bad things get this side of heaven, all of this, it ends with us, with him. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon said, Christian, meditate much on heaven. It will help thee to press on and to forget the toil of the way. This veil of tears is but a pathway to a better country this world of woe was but a stepping stone to a world of bliss well in not so many words this is what christ was trying to teach his disciples that day that they need not be troubled because in the end those who believe in him will triumph now this wasn't necessarily news to the disciples in other words this wasn't the first time jesus ever said anything like this really I mean, they hung out with him for, for quite a while, for several years. However, as is often the case, and we can all attest to this, a troubled mind needs reminding of truth, doesn't it? You ever just get so troubled and you're just stuck in that miry clay, you just need somebody that's got a little bit of truth to pull you up out of it? Well, that's where the disciples were. And so Jesus was gracious to remind his disciples of the most important truth. And it's this. In Christ, there is... Redemption. Redemption. Look at verses 5 and 6. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, even though they did. like Jesus told them like a hundred times, but whatever. Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus assured them, he said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through We've all seen this bumper sticker, right? Coexist. You guys seen that driving around, whatever, right? Coexist. Which essentially suggests that what you believe about God is good for you and what I believe about God is good for me, and uh, let's just kind of manage together. Um, And while this sentiment may seem innocent, nice, and fluffy, the suggestion simply isn't true. See, there's another bumper sticker that debunks this claim. It says this, Contradict. They can't all be true. They just can't all be true. They can't all be true. So let's stop playing games and making ourselves feel better inside. They can't all be true. Someone's got to be wrong. Actually, someone's got to be right. Everybody else has got to be wrong. Contradict. You see, contrary to popular belief, truth is not relative. And if what you believe about God, listen, if what you believe about God is not true, then what you believe about God is not good for you. It's not good for you. If it's not true, it's not good for you. Even if it makes you feel fluffy inside, it's still not good for you. Proverbs 14, 12 says there's a way that seems right to a man. But it's end what is the way to death. Thomas essentially asked Jesus the most important question of life what is the way to God? What is the way? And in no uncertain terms, Jesus gave him the unfiltered answer. There's only one way to God, and that way is through Jesus Christ. Which, of course, begs the question, what is it about Jesus that only he can provide us with the opportunity to be saved and receive eternal life? Well, I'm going to answer that question. that sound good to you? Don't matter. I'm still going to answer it. Friends, we all know that something has gone terribly wrong in our world. Would you agree with that? We all know it. We all know it. It's undeniable. I mean, one quick glance at the news cycle affirms this reality. Well, the Bible teaches that what's wrong in the world can be attributed to sin. Simply put, sin could be defined as rebellion against God and his ways. And all of us have chosen the path of rebellion. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You see, sin is the reason why we have wars and evil and pain and hurt and anguish and suffering and death in our worlds. However, the most devastating consequence of sin is that it separates us. It separates our fellowship with God. Because of sin, our relationship with God is broken. Why? Because God is holy. You know what holy means? Set apart. God can't have anything to do with sin. And since all of us are born with a sinful nature, when we die, listen, when we die, we must go to a place of eternal separation from God. And the Bible calls this place, Hell is a place of banishment from God's presence. It's a place of unspeakable torment. It's a place of conscious suffering that will never end. Wrap, wrap your heads around that. It will never end. In his book, "The Story of Reality," Gregory Kochel notes, he said, "There will be no escape. You will never be released. You will never disappear." and the suffering will never end, ever. The clock will never stop ticking. In fact, the clock will never even start. Forever is just forever. Now I get that talking about hell may not earn me many brownie points in the popularity contest these days. But look, I'm not interested in winning any points. I'm interested in giving you truth that will save your soul for eternity. I love you too much to be messing around with trying to earn points. So listen closely. You only have one life to live. One. You only get one shot at it. One shot to get this thing right. And none of you, myself included, are guaranteed tomorrow. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. You know, what we do, and this is just, we're good at it, we are, we just distract ourselves to death, don't we? So we don't have to think about our own mortality. There's more than enough shows to binge (laughs) to get us distracted from what's actually going on. I just want you to think this morning about your own mortality for a second because, I mean, we see it every day. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. And so therefore, what's the implications of that? Therefore, what you believe about God today matters. It matters more than anything else. I don't care what it is, it matters most. What you believe about God today matters most. Hebrews 9.27 says, And just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment. And I don't care how good of a salesman you are or how good of a smooth or sweet talker you might be, when you stand before God, you can't sweet talk your way in. You can't, you can't persuade God to change his mind. Whatever you're going to believe, you've got to believe it now, not later. Kokel continues in his book, he says, And here I anticipate a complaint. How is an eternal hell an example of a loving God? And I like what he says. He says, well, the one who raises the issue is on to something. Hell is not an example of God's love. It's an example of his justice. His love is already demonstrated by his offer of pardon from hell, which many decline but they will not be able to decline his justice. See, here's the crazy part. The same people that wrestle with that question, and I get it. It's it's a hard question. I've wrestled with it from time to time. But but when we wrestle with that, the same people that wrestle with that question are the same ones saying, man, I want justice to be served in our world. I want to see evil punished. I want to see good prevail. And God's like, that's my plan. That's my plan. So why are you denying me? Why, you understand what I'm saying, church? Like That's God's plan. And he says, I love you so much that I'm gonna pardon you from all that justice stuff. I'm gonna make sure that you don't have to go to hell when you die. That's my plan. Yet so many people reject his offer. It's crazy. Church, because God is perfectly just, he must punish sin. And we should be grateful for that. Because all of the unconscionable acts that take place in our world every day, and even maybe right now as I speak, what's happening across seas in Ukraine and other places, God will bring justice. And when he does, it will be swift. However, God also loves you so much that he provided an escape route from eternal damnation. And this escape route is Jesus Christ. When Jesus told his disciples, I go to prepare a place for you, part of his journey in getting there was the cross. You see, according to God's righteous standard, blood needed to be spilt for permanent forgiveness to happen. And someone needed to die to atone for the sins of man, and that someone needed to be perfect. And since none of us are perfect, God, in his love, intervened. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, knee-deep in our sin, Christ died for us. Friends, don't miss this. 2,000 years ago, Jesus took your sin and my sin upon himself died on a cross, and three days later he rose again so that you and I can have complete and total forgiveness of our sins and have the opportunity to go to heaven when we die. And I say opportunity because while the offer is there, it only becomes your reality if you personally place your faith in the person and work of Jesus. The pardon for your sins is found in him In him Alone. Romans 3.25 says, For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they what? Believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever should not perish but have everlasting life. You know, earlier I mentioned that the enemy's primary objective is to trouble our souls on earth and steal our souls for eternity. And he is very, very good. Very good at what he does. Well, one of his leading tactics is convincing the world that all roads lead to God. It's a fluffy thought. Don't fall for his schemes today, church. Don't fall for it. The Bible teaches that if you want to be saved, if you want to have a restored relationship with God, if you want to be sure that one day you will rise and reside in heaven forever, then you must believe in Jesus. He's the only one who conquered the problem of sin and death, and he's the only one who could provide eternal life. Acts 4.12 says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Friends, the battle for your soul is real and the enemy wants nothing more than to claim dominion over it. Don't let him win. Don't let him win. I'm not trying to convert you to a religion. I'm certainly not even trying to convert you to come to our church. I'm trying to introduce you to Jesus because only he could save your soul. You could attend this church for 99 years of your life and not be saved. You could attend any church you want for 99 years of your life and not be saved. What saves your soul is Jesus Christ. He said, in my house there are many rooms. Are you confident that one of those rooms belongs to you? If you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then as it stands right now, pay attention, we're going to make our descent here. <laughs> and as it stands right now, you're on the losing side of the battle. And you will go to hell when you die. But if I may echo the words of Jesus, let not your hearts be troubled, because you can be on the winning side this morning. It's what's amazing about the Lord. You could have walked in on the losing side and leave here on the winning side for eternity. Jesus said in John 11, 25 and 26, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And he says, whoever believes in me, though he die... Yet he shall live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he says this, do you believe this? Friends, the outcome of the battle hinges on your answer to this question. Do you believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? Do you trust him and him alone for your salvation? I want to tell you something. You did not come here this morning by accident. Like, well, yeah, I kind of woke up, and maybe somebody invited me, or I just kind of stumbled in today, or I made a decision. You let me tell you something. God's over it. God's sovereign. He's over everything. He knows. He knew you were going to be here this morning. He might have even brought you here himself. You don't even know it. You, maybe you didn't feel him, but he's like, he picks you up. woo <laughs> and, and the reason why you're here is he wants you. He wants you to believe. He wants to give you the free gift of eternal life. He wants you to respond to his invitation. So listen. God's solution to the problem of evil. We all wrestle with the problem of evil. His solution is perfect justice for the evildoers and perfect mercy for the penitent. Evil will be banished forever and everlasting good will be restored. That's his solution. Sounds like a pretty good one, doesn't it? So which side of his solution will you be on? Because the choice is yours. John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. So here's the deal. If you feel the need to respond to God's invitation this morning, if you need to claim eternal victory in your battle against the enemy, I'm going to close by giving you that opportunity. And if I were you, I'd give serious consideration to taking it. Because you are not guaranteed tomorrow. And listen, your heart may never be as tender to the gospel as it is right now. This might be your defining moment for your life. God loves you. And he wants to pardon you from all your sin, past, present, and future. Pastor Mike, you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. I've got so much darkness hovering over me. Don't matter. Don't matter. Past, present, future, clean slates, forgiven for eternity free gift of eternal life to those who believe. That's an invitation worth responding to, church. And so if you'd like to receive this free gift, then I'm going to invite you right now in the quietness of your seat. Let's all bow our heads together, and I want you to pray something like this. Are you guys ready? Are you ready? Simply pray, dear God, your word says that you desire to have a relationship with me, and I believe it. Your word says that my sin has separated me from you, and I believe it. Your word teaches that apart from a Savior, I am destined to spend eternity in hell, and I believe it. However, your word also says that you sent your one and only son, Jesus, to die for me on the cross, and that three days later, he rose again. And whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life, and I believe that too. And so, Lord, beginning today, I place my faith in Jesus, and Jesus alone for eternal life. Thank you for this free gift and help me from this day forward to follow you and do your will in Jesus name. Amen. Friend if you prayed to receive Jesus today, then you have reason to rejoice. You have reason to rejoice. You have been forgiven and set free from the shackles of sin. You have been given a new life on earth. It all be, you know, eternal life doesn't start later, it begins right now here on earth. And you have a new hope for eternity. You've been transferred from death to life. And sure, your physical body is eventually going to fail and conk out, but the moment you close your eyes on earth, you're going to open them, and you're going to be in heaven, in that place that Jesus prepared for you. 1 Peter 1, 3-5 says it best. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a what? A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance, that's heaven, that is unperishable, imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Church, can we celebrate, because you're a little quiet this morning and it's making me nervous, can we celebrate the living hope that we have in Jesus Christ this morning? Come on, ma'am. I'm going to get you hooting and hollering one of these days. I am. It might be a while, but I'm going to get you going because this is, this is Easter Sunday. We have a risen Savior. There's one day to celebrate. It's got to be today. Amen? And this leads us back to today's truth to remember. A troubled heart finds hope in the risen Savior. I'm going to call the praise team forward I'm gonna wrap up with a few more songs. But as they're coming forward, just zero in on me for one second. If your troubled heart found hope today, if you prayed for the first time to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to invite you to come forward. I'm going to invite you to bring a friend or family member with you, so it's not like awkward or anything like that. And I know it's kind of, we're kind of tight in here, but those sitting next to you will get over it. And all I want you to do, I just want you to come forward when we start the closing song, sometime during the, this next song. I've got some information packets here. And I've got some information packets here. Just come up, grab one, take it back to your seat. It just has some information that will help you get started in your, in your walk with Jesus. There's a questionnaire. There's a, a copy of the Gospel of John. It's a great way to get started. You don't need to stay up front. But, but when we bowed our heads and we closed our eyes, if you one of those people who prayed to receive Jesus come forward <laughs> maybe you didn't pray to receive Jesus but now here's your next stop your second opportunity if that's you come forward again we're not going to make this any more awkward than it needs to be just grab grab some information go back to your seat but if you need to come you come and we will celebrate with you amen Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.